really was good to get to know many of you yesterday at the seminar, Pastor Bill, Susan, uh, Karen, and just to, to, to relate to many of you uh, engineers. There's quite a few engineers here. <laughs> um, actually, um, I was really impressed by just the, the, the level of, of thought here in, in just the educational kind of, uh, uh, you know, just knowing a little bit about this base and, and thank you for keeping our country safe. Um, and so I just was really, I didn't really know a lot about, about Ridgecrest until being here um, yesterday. My wife, she was born in Mariposa. So often we'd go through, but mainly over the grapevine to Mariposa going through Bakersfield. So been there a lot, but it's just been good to get to know a little bit more about what you're doing here at Ridgecrest. My brother-in-law was an engineer. Um, he sort of was a tragic story. Uh, it wasn't because he was an engineer, but uh, he accepted Jesus Christ at Calvary Chapel a while ago, and he was only one year old as a Christian and my youngest sister married him, and then just a little while after becoming a, a married, he decided that the gospel was not true. And the reason why he began to doubt was because he felt like Jesus was supposed to come in the first century according to the Christian documents, the New Testament. He thought that the early church believed that Jesus was going to come in that first century, and because he didn't, the Bible must not be true, and that led him to read all kinds of liberal commentaries, and thus he denied the faith, ended up divorcing my sister. Now, as I tried to combat his unbelief, I remember researching myself that issue of Christ's second coming, going to Biola, talking to professors about this idea of Christ's coming in the first century, and one thing that struck me as I talked to various professors was that, you know, the Bible says that Jesus will come quickly. But what that means is that when he decides to come, when God decides to send his son, it will be quickly. It's not like we can say, oh, he's got to come in this first century or he's got to come now. It, we can't be like Harold Camping. Remember him? May 21st. We're all supposed to be gone. And then he changed his mind. Okay, and then it was all of a sudden October 21st, if I remember right. You know, people committed suicide as followers changed their homes. And many, have had, many of them have denied the faith because Scripture is very clear that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. We have to be ready at any moment. But let me just say this. I want to declare what Paul said, that now is our salvation sooner than when we first believed. He's coming sooner. He could come at any moment. Do you believe that? I believe we need to be ready. I mean, he could come before I'm done speaking. Do you? Are, are you ready for him to come? Wouldn't that be a, the Bible calls that the blessed hope. He could come at any moment. And if you knew he was going to come, let's just say in three days, let's just say you had a, you know, I mean, you knew that. Would your life be any different in these next three days? Hopefully not. You're living the Christian life. You're on fire. You're just. But my message today is living in the light of eternity. We need to live today as if he could come at any moment. 
And that's the message of 1 Peter. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter here is talking to a house church. In the early church, all of the New Testament letters were written to house churches. The size was usually about 10 people to 15. Some of them met in apartments, some of them in houses. Very rarely did they meet in like the upper room that could fit 120. It was mainly a smaller house, uh, very, very, uh, very uh, crowded conditions. And um, Peter is reading, or excuse me, Peter's not reading, but this house church is reading Peter's letter in this small group environment. And look with me at verse 7. They are reading this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So they're reading this as a group. They're saying the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded. And in the Greek, in the Koinonia Greek, Koinonia Greek, they, they realize that this word, clear-minded, literally in the Greek means don't be insane. Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. What, what Peter is saying is that crazy people act as if there's a lot of time. Crazy people eat and drink and are merry because they just don't believe that, you know, there's anything beyond this life. Crazy, insane people live for that bigger car, live for a bigger house, live for pleasure, live as if Jesus Christ was not going to come at any time. And what Peter is telling this house church is live for eternity. Realize if God has prospered you, and I hope that you make a lot of money. I hope you have a big home. I hope you have all those things. But live as if you don't have those things. Be generous. Give those things away. Make sure you're tithing. Make sure you're offering to other people. Make sure you're helping the poor. Make sure you're using that car to help others. Make sure that your house is open to other people, to a house church, to a life group, whatever, to hospitality. Because you might not be here tomorrow. We might not be here tomorrow. Don't be insane, Peter. Insane people live in this life. This is all there is. But the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no one can take that away. That's truly a financial peace university right there. Heaven. You know, treasure in heaven. And I, I more and more am realizing that the motivation to serve Jesus Christ is for our heavenly rewards. Hello? Do you believe that? I mean, I believe that our salvation is guaranteed. We cannot do anything. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. But, you know, we're going to be rewarded according to our faithful service to him. Those works will be burned or we're going to get a reward. Somehow, I don't understand it all. But that should be a motivation to put up treasure in heaven. This life is so short. You're not going to be here very long. 
in this day of rising inflation, the death rate is still one per person. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Hey, I used to have hair down to here. Hello? I mean, what's happening? You know, even if you don't, if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, you know, we don't have much time on this earth. We're going to die. We know that we're going to be six feet under someday. Very soon in reality, the Bible says our life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We need to live for those things that are going to last. We need to live for eternity. And so my prayer for you here at Emmanuel Baptist Church is you'd be reminded to live for eternity. And that was exactly the message that Peter gave to that house church. The end of all things is near. Any moment. Live as if Jesus could come at any moment. Don't be insane. Use what you have, these little physical possessions that you have, that I have for eternity. Serve Jesus. Put up yourself treasures in heaven where no one can take that away. Make sure you're ready because in this life, in reality, we're just preparing for the next one. Isn't that true? I'm reading a book, Randy Alcorn, on heaven. I really recommend it. And I'm just more and more realizing, wow, that's our home, is in just a moment we're going to be there. And so Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So he uses that word self-control. And we know here that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't control yourself. Your flesh is as wicked today as it was when you before you accepted Jesus. Do you believe that? I mean, some of you might have a might be you might have better flesh than mine. I know I wrestle. I remember, you know, my, but that, that I still wrestle. And I don't think we're, I'm going to be perfect until heaven. And I know that I need the fruit of the spirit each day. And that's what Peter is saying here. Be self-controlled in the light of Christ's coming because we need to be ready when he comes. In fact, put your finger there in first Peter. And then look with me at first Thessalonians chapter Five, because this verse is also Paul now is writing to a house church that is reading this passage in first Thessalonians. And again, the end of I think this is an important motivation. Christ is coming again soon. And so he says here in verse four, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In the light of Christ's coming, let us, be, let us live as children of the light, being ready at any moment. And that's where that self-control comes in. I was born in Long Beach, California. My mom still lives in the same house where I was born. She's 86. My dad just died about three years ago, and I'm so thankful he accepted Jesus three days before he died. And I remember that um, my parents were both, my dad taught psychology at, a, uh, at Long Beach City College, and my mom taught child development at the same college. I like to say I've been analyzed all my life. But we know that education doesn't satisfy, and I was looking for answers, and, and I remember that I you know, got involved in drugs and drinking and transcendental meditation, and, 
and I just was looking for answers. And then my brother got saved and he became a Jesus guy. He was saved in the Jesus movement. He would come and talk to us about Jesus. And I thought he was so weird. And I remember I was a shoe salesman at C.H. Baker's um, uh, assistant manager. And I remember that my manager said, well, what about your brother Jay? And I said, yeah, he's a Jesus freak. He's weird. But I remember in my bedroom when I was 17 and I was wondering, what was I going to do after high school? I just suddenly out of nowhere just said, Jesus. I thought, why did I say that name, Jesus? I didn't believe in Jesus. But I remember three days later after that, I was in that shoe store. And I just remember the exact place where I was right by the counter. And the name Jesus came to my mind. And I thought, why am I thinking about Jesus now? And all of a sudden, there was a sweetness about Jesus, that name Jesus. And I realized I was born again. Hello. Jesus had come in my life. And and the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in reality, I called on him in that moment and I was born again. And it was so exciting that what my brother had talked about was real. Jesus Christ is alive. And I was born again. And and it was just so amazing. And and, and yet I I knew that Jesus was alive, but I lacked the courage to to carry my Bible to Millican High School. You know, because people knew me as this drug guy and everything. But then I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I received that fullness and I was able to, I had the power to, to carry my Bible. And, and you know, I, by the way, this year marks 40 years of being a Christian. Praise the Lord. I'll be 40 years old in Jesus. But I want you to know that every day I have to get on my knees and say, oh God, fill me. This flesh just wants to do everything but serve you. And I need to be filled. That's the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Oh, Lord, help me not to look at that pornography. Help me not to, to be angry. Help me to love my wealth. Help love my wife. <laughs> help me, Lord, to care for my kids and not be whatever. Some of you this morning need to say, Oh, God, I want to be ready if you were to come today. Lord, Lord help me not to help me to avoid the internet, the pornography. Some of you are, 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 are really... Um, in a bondage situation with pornography. Some of you are filled with anger and there's, there's a, there's bitterness there. Some of you today um, are needing that self-control. I want you to know that the church is a hospital. You're in good company. There's grace this morning. There's grace because you know what? The fruit of the spirit is self-control. You know, you just need to say, I repent. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to be self-controlled because you're going to come at any moment. And Lord, I want to live this day for you. Whatever it is, I don't know your situation, but God knows. And, And you know what? You're in the right place. You've come to the right place because the church on Sunday is to say, God, fill me. I want to be ready if you were to come this morning. I want to walk in the spirit. That's what I was doing this morning in that hotel. Oh, God, fill me. Help me. It doesn't matter how long you have in the Lord. You need to be self-controlled. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And I need to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus Christ is coming again soon. And then I like what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He says, self-controlled so that you can pray. So that you can pray. And that's the result. Actually, it's the result of being filled with the Spirit. It's not, it's not separate. It, the result of being filled with the Spirit is so that you can pray. I wrote a book called An Appointment with the King. I believe that's my, fav- my most important book. It didn't sell as many copies as Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. It didn't make me rich. I wish it would have sold more. But 
you know what? It's my most important book because having a quiet time is the most important discipline in the Christian life. Spending time with God. But my good friend Kevin Strong, who died of brain cancer, he read that book before it came out. And he said, Joel, it's a good book. It talks about how to have the quiet time. But he said, there's one thing that's lacking in the book. He said, a lot of people know how to have a quiet time, but they lack the desire. I mean, they know how to pray. They know to spend time, but they lack the desire to have the quiet time. And I said, you know, Kevin, you're right on. But I said, Kevin, I really can't put that in a book. I can't write. That's got to be something that God puts in your heart, that God puts in my heart. That, that's where we need the Holy Spirit to give us a desire. And that's what Peter is saying. In the light of Christ coming, let's be self-controlled. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with him so we'll have a desire to pray and to seek him. And this morning, if you're here in church, and really, oh, yeah, I should have a quiet time. I should be, oh, yeah, I know that. And there's no desire. And you're so busy. And you race to work. And you race to school. But you're not spending time with God. You're out of control. Let me just say it. Can I just be honest with you? You're out of control. But the church is a hospital. And there's grace. There's grace this morning. You just need to say, oh, God, forgive me. My life, I prioritize other things. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Give me a desire so that I will prioritize you because I'm going to be with you for eternity. And Lord, I want to be ready. Lord, fill me this morning so I could truly have a desire to spend time with God. Can I hear one amen? Because as the Holy Spirit fills us, He'll give you a desire to set aside. And I believe, by the way, that you should spend a half hour. Start with a half hour of reading the Bible, going through a Bible plan, worshiping the Lord, you know, listening. I'm talking about the quiet time. Start with a half hour. Five minutes. I mean, how much can you get with five minutes? And that's, you know, start with a half hour. And by the way, if you start with a half hour, you might only get five minutes of real quality time. But if you keep on doing it, you're going to get 10 minutes eventually, then 15. And then some of you are going to graduate to an hour. And then some of you are going to want more. I'm talking about seeking God, reading the Bible, reading through the Bible in one year. Or two years. My, my wife likes two years. I like one year. But it just, you know, go on your pace. And as you have your quiet time, God's going to fill you. And then praying without ceasing is that other discipline. Praying without ceasing wherever you are. But, you know, you can't have... Your quiet time on the road, especially on that 395. You need to have your eyes wide open. And so, you know, that's what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And there's grace here this morning to say, God, fill me. Give me the fruit of the Spirit so that I will prioritize prayer in my life in the light of your coming. Because, Lord, I want to be ready and I want to, I, I really want to be filled with you. Give me that grace. And that's my desire. My prayer is that that's your desire as well. And then he says in verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so here he's talking about the relationship. We've looked at our attitude in the light of his coming, but now he's talking about our relationships. And he's saying love needs to cover a multitude of sin. And that word there is like an athlete stretching forth uh, his hand or his muscles 
to cover someone else's sin. Peter is talking here about forgiveness. He's talking about covering someone else's offenses. And actually back then, you know, there, was, there, there were the Olympic Games. And so that was actually an athletic term when he says deeply or, or fervently in some translations. We need to cover people's sins. And that's not easy. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the grace to do that. I remember when I planted my first church in Long Beach, California, I wanted to be a missionary. And with the Christian Missionary Alliance, you had to have a significant ministry. And so I decided to plant a church. And we started in a home. And it was really difficult. I was going through a lot of hard times. I was looking for encouragement as a pastor, as a single pastor, not married. I had to marry others, bury. It was a real difficult time. And I was looking for some of my parishioners to encourage me. Do you feel sorry for me? Anyway, um, but I remember... Anita, she was a member of my church, and I was on the phone with Anita, and I said, how are you doing, Anita? You know, she, I thought she wanted counseling, some coaching, and she said, Pastor, I just want you to know that you are a failure, and she said, Pastor, you know, it's best that you seek another profession because nobody likes you at this church. And I tried to act real pastoral, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Anita, but when I hung up the phone, I wanted to kill her. You know, I tried to act, oh, yes, thank you. But, but you know what? I was so filled with bitterness. I mean, just enraged that she was ruining my life. It was tough enough as a single pastor. But I remember the next day I had to go to an evangelism explosion conference in Fresno. And so there I was on the, on the five freeway and driving that car. And, and I'll tell you, I could hardly drive because all I could see was Anita in the windshield and how I wanted to kill her. I mean, I was just filled with just anger and bitterness. And I remember I couldn't go through that con- to that conference because I just was just all I could think about was Anita. And I remember I pulled aside there on the freeway and the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that still small voice. And he pointed out Matthew chapter six that says, if you don't forgive every brother his or her sins, neither will I forgive you your sins. And I, and I said, God, can you give me an exception here? Please, can I have an exception? And he said, no, no, you need to forgive. And I said, I can't, and I could not. I really could not. And, and I said, God, help me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the grace to forgive. And the Holy Spirit gave me the power to, to forgive Anita. And I was able to go into that conference. And I felt, I felt relieved. I felt the grace to be able to go into that conference there in, uh, in Fresno. And, 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 and I had a great conference, learned evangelism explosion, good time. But then I had to go back to the church, and Anita was there. And, and you know, but, but God gave me the grace, and, and I was able to forgive her. And then I found out that Anita wanted to have a romantic relationship with me. And, and basically, she wanted to be my girlfriend, and I did not know that. And, and so she had been bitter at me, and that's why she exploded on the phone like that. And I don't tell you that to criticize Anita, I only tell you that is because oftentimes we don't know why the people act the way they act. 
We don't know why the people react, but the Bible says to extend that muscle and to forgive. We don't know why we have parents the way they are, but oftentimes they've been hurt. You know, it's true that hurt people hurt people, and we don't know why, and we just can't get so, you know, filled with bitterness. But the Bible says here to extend that muscle, to cover over their offense, to just forgive them, because we cannot live with bitterness. Somebody said that bitterness is like drinking the poison that you hope somebody else will take. You're going to be filled with the problem. You're going to be poisoning yourself by becoming bitter. But oftentimes, we don't have the grace to do it. We can't in ourselves. And again, God is here today. This is a hospital. And if, you're, if you haven't fully forgiven somebody, if, if you realize, but Jesus Christ is coming, you know, I don't want to have that. And, and you can just ask him this morning and he'll give you the grace. I'm not talking, I'm sure we're going to still have trust issues, but God can take away constantly that gnawing memory of that, and God will give you the power, and he'll help you to forgive. And I, my prayer is that you won't leave this building without giving that to God and dedicating that, because Jesus Christ is coming soon. It could be today. And, you know, I'll tell you, there is grace. There is grace this morning. And I'm not just referring to lay people. I, I know of a particular pastor right now who had to leave his church. And they wanted to make room for a younger pastor. And, you know, they, they really tried hard to make this as easy as possible. That pastor is just filled with bitterness. And there's nothing anybody can really do. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been in, in the Christian life or what your station is in life. We all face conflicts and difficulties. And, and we need to just stretch forth those muscles and forgive and cover those offenses. And the Holy Spirit is all powerful. And God, the Trinity, can help you to forgive and help you to be ready for his second coming. And that's another reason why I love life groups. Because... That was the New Testament context, and that's actually what Peter is writing about. He's saying, you know, to these life group members, you might have somebody in that life group who you don't necessarily get along with, and you need to extend that muscle and forgive that person. And remember that the early church started in life groups, and oftentimes in a life group, you're going to be with a person that you just need to to love, even though you might not have the same personality in, in a smaller group. We mature as Christians. And remember, Jesus says, by this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. He was talking to a group of 12. There was a a rebel. There was a tax collector. And yet, by the power of God, they were molded together and they love one another. And as we can do that in these life groups, then the Ridgecrest will say, wow, there's something different. These people are mature. It's so easy to come to a Sunday service and sit over there. And the person that you don't really get along with sits over there. And you you don't really talk to the person. You just leave. And and yet the Bible says we need to love one another. We need to love like Jesus wants us to love. And that's another important reason to mature in life groups and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the grace. But part of that relationship is what it says in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And again, this is the house church context because, you know, they didn't have hotels. By the way, I'm staying in a Hampton Inn right over here. It's a very good Hampton Inn. Thank you for letting me stay there. 
We really appreciate that. I've had a very good time. But back then, they were, there, were just, there were just houses. There was no Hampton Inn. And so Peter is saying, open your home. Open your heart. Let the traveling preacher stay in your home because that's all they had back then. They were under persecution. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, one reason why there's more, not more life groups in the church is because people look at their homes as their own castles. This is my, this is my home. I don't want, you know, somebody dirtying the rug. I don't want children in this. This is mine. I, I come to church. I pay for this building. I don't want to, you know, open my home. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, the Bible says. It's not your home. Jesus Christ is coming soon. You can't take any of it with you. I remember when we first planted the church in Moreno Valley in, in 2004, we opened my home. And this was my first home here and my first home that I ever had with my, my family. And we had new carpet. And we had children in the, in the, in the home, you know, running on, on the carpet. And, and, and it, was, it got dirty quick. And I struggled with that. I mean, I wanted to keep everything clean. And, and yet, I, you know, as, I, as I've matured in the Christian life, I realize, you know, who cares? In fact, we still have one black spot by the kitchen that we still can't get up. But, you know, now I see that as kind of like a trophy, praise God. You know, because it reminds me that Jesus Christ is coming soon. I need to just offer hospitality without grumbling. My wife still has a, a life group in my home. My daughter has a, a youth life group. But you know what? Whatever we have, it's, it's, not, it's not ours. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And we need to be willing to say, hey, Lord, I want to have a life. Some of you maybe need to dedicate yourself to say, Pastor, Karen, whatever, I need, I need to open my home for a life group. I, I want to I be able to, to offer hospitality without grumbling. And, that, that, and this is <clears throat> um, something that the Holy Spirit needs to give us the grace to do. And there's power here today. But then, then I like what he's saying here in verse 10. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And so... Peter is saying here, in the light of Christ's coming, discover what gift you have and then use it. And remember, all of the gift passages are written to small groups. They're written to house churches, 1 Corinthians, um, Ephesians, Romans. And, and in that house environment, somebody could identify their speaking gifts, their gift of teaching, or their gift of evangelism, or apostleship, and they could discover that gift in that life group. Or if it, if it was a gift of service, they could discover that gift, serving, giving, mercy, and that was the environment of the house church, and the Holy Spirit was operating in that house church environment, showing people what their gifts were. And I believe that the best place for you to discover your spiritual gift is not in the large celebration, but in that small, intimate environment. In fact, a homework assignment I give to members of life groups is to talk to your leader and ask them what you think my gift is. And then experiment with a few gifts and discover what that gift is in that environment. And then as you begin to use that gift, perhaps Bill... Um, Susan, Karen will ask you to do something in more a larger group environment. 
But that's the New Testament environment to discern what your gift is. And by the way, as you discern your gift, I believe that you can use your gift in your secular work uh, at, at, at the at the base or wherever, if it's a gift of evangelism or service, you know, that, you know, 24 seven, we need to be using our gifts. But when Jesus Christ comes, remember, he'll say, what have you done with what I've given you? And that's not to make you feel condemned, but the Bible says that if I've given you five talents, you know, have you traded those? If I've given you two, have you traded those? And that includes not only talents, but also gifts, as it says here in Peter, because Peter's saying the end of all things is near. Therefore, use the gift that you have received for God's glory because he is coming soon and God will give you the grace this morning to do that. There's grace this morning. There's grace. We're in that process. And I'll tell you one thing that's really motivated me is I want to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I've blown it a lot. I know that I haven't done all I should do, but you know what? There is grace and I'm seeking to trade those talents and those gifts so that when he comes again, I will be ready. Is that what you want? Living in the light of eternity. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are coming again soon. We thank you that we can live for you this morning. And thank you, God, for this church being that this lighthouse to so many people. Thank you for Pastor Bill. Thank you for Susan. Lord, I pray for them as pastors that you would help them to guide this congregation to live in the light of eternity to be ready for your second coming. I pray for each person here that you would prepare them, Lord, for your second coming. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure that if Jesus came today that you would go. There's doubt in your heart. You're not born again. You haven't received Jesus as your Savior. And I would like you just to, I would encourage you just to pray a prayer like, Oh Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. Give me the gift of eternal life. Come in my heart. And you know, if you've prayed that prayer, I believe that he will come in. And I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Bill or Karen after the service because they want to give you a Bible. They want to help you to get into a life group. They want to help you grow. This is just the first step of many in growing and being ready for Christ's coming. And maybe you're here this morning and your life is out of control. You're involved in some addiction, anger, a sexual addiction, uh, whatever it might be. And you need God's control. You need the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you this morning so that you can pray. He wants to give you a desire to, to spend time with Him. He wants to give you a desire to be hospitable, to discover your gift to walk in the Spirit, to forgive others. And there's grace this morning to prepare your heart, to prepare our hearts for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.